This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. All right, we've got some sponsors for the pod now. Wait, what? Every link you need for the things we talk about here is at artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors. First up, books. If you're into this podcast, Odds are you're probably a reader. We've got links to buy new books from bookshop.org and used books from alibris.com. And if you want to listen to your books, we recommend and use audible.com. It's great and the catalog is huge. All right. So if you're listening to this, you are online. Maybe you're very online. You probably have a website or are thinking of starting one. Maybe you want a website like artofdarkpod.com. We built that with WordPress, which is by far the most popular way to create websites. And the single best host for serious WordPress is WP Engine. I've personally used them for over a decade now, and I don't host my websites anywhere else. Go to artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors and click on the WP Engine link to learn more. Finally, the best way to support the show is at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Get the bonus After Dark content for every episode, access to the book club, and more. Thanks for supporting Art of Darkness. And I, I don't think that was too painful. I think no, we did a pretty good job good. there. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded good. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. Back in the dark room, Art of Darkness. I'm Kevin Couchman, joined by Brad Kelly. Brad, how are you? Fresh off our Mary Shelley episode. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I've been uh, uh, thinking about that ever since. I'm Frankenstein, totally Frankenstein pilled. So uh, I'm going to have to reckon with that. I got to fit that into my reading schedule somehow. It was great, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On Valentine's, don't say be my Valentine, say be my Frankenstein. Aww. And we're uh, <laughs> party on, Brad. And we are, uh, we're joined in the dark room by man of letters and fellow podcaster, friend of the pod, Matt Pegas. Matt, how are you? Doing well. Um, thank you guys so much for having me on. Of and course. who are we going to talk about on this dark room? We always, so we do core episodes, Mary Shelley's episode last night, four or five hours on, on Shelley. And we rather famously did six, seven hours on the subject that we're going to talk about with, with yes. our guest here today, Matt. Matt, who do you want to talk about on today's darkroom? Well, it is December 1st. And on the anniversary of his death, we will be talking about Alistair Crowley. <gasps> ah, the beast 666. I just Indeed. felt the chill. I felt a cold chill pass through the room. I mean, that might have been an <laughs> HVAC situation here, but... <laughs> you live in Detroit, Brad. You're you're in yeah, a basement, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm in a ba yeah. a haunted basement in Detroit. So this is perfect. It's a yes and thing. Well, and so for people who don't know you, Matt, tell people a little bit about yourself, where they can find you, where they can find the new right podcast, and then we're gonna dig in uh to Crowley. I've got yeah. some ideas for the after dark that we always do for Patreon. We're gonna do a um a reading, uh, the, the annual tarot reading for yeah, Art of Darkness. Oh, we're excellent. Do the, yeah. 
Man. Yeah, we're gonna do like an online Toth tarot reading. Brad's gonna read because that's what he does. And Matt, I know you're you're interested in tarot too, correct? Yep, got it right here. So brilliant. Yeah, yeah Matt we'll tell is people, more. Uh, Matt is more than interested. Matt is is. Oh, Matt is a, <laughs> a terrifier. If, if someone in the audience is interested, they should seek Matt's uh, Substack out. Read read his writing. Oh, thank you, Brad. Yeah, well, yeah. He does an excellent job. Yeah. Yeah. Brad's the one who got me into tarot, though, as I've said. So uh, <laughs> I, I did do a pretty deep dive on it, especially this year, and we'll talk about that. But uh, you know, I think you, Brad, you've been at it for longer, so I, I think well, we both yeah, have, but I, we both I bring I, our expertise, yeah, yeah, mutual, mutual appreciation society, I suppose. But yeah, you, you're doing a great, you're doing a great thing there. So maybe we'll even we'll talk about that a little bit as well. That'd be great. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah. So yeah, Kevin, tell us about yourself, man. No, I no, want to yeah, give yeah. us oh, a yeah, big, a big picture for the audience for people who don't know you, Matt. So I'm a, you know, very online writer like the two of you. Um, I wrote a novel called Dragon Day, which came out with Terror House Press uh, two and a half years ago now. Um, we're, I, I, I have a sub stack where I've kind of written shorter fiction more recently. Um, it's called, I call my blog Strange Flows on Substack. Um, I wish I, let me just, I'll get the actual URL. I should have that down pat the way you guys do to to pitch on the show. Let me pull that up. But um, I, I also, a lot of your listeners will probably know me as one half of New Right Podcast uh, with Dan Baltic. Uh, and that the is show's a, lawyer. Dan Baltic is our <laughs> is Art of Darkness's lawyer. Absolutely. Famously. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. <laughs> the online right Twitter's favorite lawyer. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, no, but New Right is kind of a, yeah. The funniest lawyer in America. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, New Right's sort of a companion pod to Art of Darkness in a way. You know, we're definitely, you know, mutual appreciation society, like Brad said. I think we started yeah. at a similar time. And, um, you know, I love what you guys do. I think it's, you know, one of the most amazing, like, themed podcasts out there. Uh, but what we do is kind of downstream. That's less, you know, digging into, uh, you know, the darkness behind art per se. But we certainly get up to plenty of that. Ours is more of a general uh, literary podcast, I suppose you'd say. Um, my Substack URL, because I just pulled it up, is matt.p969.substack.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at mpegs, that's M-P-E-G-Z-696. That's my at. Uh, I could go on promoting these various things. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. actually, maybe to maybe this is something I, I should f work on in the new year. You know, I have a, my hand in a lot of different things, you know, one half a new right pot. Um, got my own blog, whatever. I, I kind of also have this other uh, people. I think some people find this confusing, but it's actually relevant today's to today's topics. So I'll bring it up. I have another podcast I do called that I call Strange Flows, uh, which is also what I call my blog. Um, and that is um, similar to New Right. We've even done some episodes that are sort of both, but that that's a solo podcast of mine. And I say it's relevant to today's talk. It's not as active as New Right. I kind of post more sporadically, but it's um, relevant to today's topic because the the intention there was to be more focused on esotericism as well as art but but yeah definitely esotericism and tarot uh and and those kinds of topics are what i'm doing a lot of podcasts on about there um so i think that probably gives enough background information on me right on um, yeah definitely yeah. check out these two podcasts new right and strange flows yes yeah, cool. so and you can find all that kind of through my twitter feed and and all the rest yeah well 
I mean, let's get into it. So when we have these darkroom episodes, the guest comes on because they want to talk about the subject. It's been right. a while since I thought very deeply about Alistair Crowley. I dredged my my books up, including the, a couple of the more obscure volumes uh, that I have, Secret mm-hmm. Agent 666, mm-hmm. and then this Alistair Crowley, The Beast in Berlin, Art, Sex, and Magic in the Weimar Republic. I have that yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Okay. I Depending on how the the main episode goes here. I might dip into this or I'm, I might save some of it for the, uh, for the after dark. But uh, you know, when he, when he, when he first arrived in Berlin, there were like newspaper articles about him. Right. He was a figure like that, yeah. like er, pretty early. He was notable, notable right. um, very much yeah. like, although he was a, a few generations later, he was three quarters of a century later, very much like Mary Shelley. And her mm-hmm. little little gang, uh, uh, you know, Lord Byron, the, you know, people, almost like the paparazzi. There were no cameras, but I mean, people would just linger outside of his house to get a view of him, you know. And he's like a like Mick Jagger, um, right, but just a, right. just a poet, you know. And Crowley had some of that some of that uh, juice. So I guess I guess Matt, I'll ask you, why do you want to talk about Crowley? When did you first get interested in him? Let's 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 yeah, wrap, let's uh, let's go the into beast. the. Uh... Yeah, that my background. That's and this first chunk of the notes I sent you. I just you know kind of started free writing, and it seemed like the normal, the reasonable place to start would be just um, talking about my background with the guy because it's kind of long and a gradual development of interest. Um, I think like a lot of people, I found him first through music as quite a young person, as like a 13, 14 year old. Um, I was a huge Marilyn Manson fan as a teenager, so I think that's probably where I got a lot of it. Um, but also like David Bowie has some references and um, of course Ozzy. the one Ozzy Osbourne song. Um, that's kind of where I first came across his Zep- name. I mean, Zeppelin was giga. I mean, Jimmy oh, I, mean, I forgot was... to even mention that. Of course. Yeah. yeah. They so bought his, he you... bought his house. Right. Yeah. The, I mean, um, what's it called? The Boleskin. The, yeah. The Bulls, the Bleskin house. Yes. Yeah. Um, so kind of as just a rock and roll fan uh, had always been aware Um you know, I kind of have my own, as I think probably a lot of people on this corner of the internet do, you know, uh, I personally was brought up Catholic and then I w- was like, you know, an atheist, the one true faith, liberal, you know, in, um, in high school. So I, and, and but would go back and forth a lot. Um, so my kind of relationship, Matt, the church, the church is waiting for you with open arms. My I friend. know, I know it. The mother <laughs> church is, is yearning for you to come back to her. Yeah. Well, hey, I didn't say I left definitively, you know, but it's one okay. of these things that's complicated for 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 many of us, I suppose. <laughs> Tell me about um, it. Yeah. But I mean, I certainly I'm certainly I'm closer to it now than I was, you know, when I was first listening to Manson and getting into Crowley. Um, I, <laughs> I say that I, I give all this background, you know, kind of because, you know, in, in college, I, I I went back to the church and, and and attended regularly. So, you know, like I think, again, like a lot of people on this side of the Internet, I've sort of vacillated between different things and within that it's like oh is Crowley something that should be avoided at all costs or is he um is he great you know is he is he someone um to aspire to this kind of thing like I've kind of you know from the from around the time I heard of Crowley to about five-ish years ago um I would kind of go back and forth between those extremes a little bit I, I always found him interesting and I would maintain and I will, you know, kind of argue for this today that he's not I certainly don't think he's like a Satan worshiper in any real sense. Um, so even even from a more conservative or Christian standpoint, I 
you know, at, at risk of sounding, um, you know, demonic to people, like I'm trying to butter, <laughs> butter people up to to hear uh, the word of the devil or something. I I don't think he's quite as bad <laughs> as a lot of people think, even from that perspective. Um, but we can get I, into that. Yeah, today. I mean, I I yeah. kind of read him as a bit of a cautionary tale. Uh, I yeah. think that it's essential to understand him if you mm-hmm. want to understand the water that we swim in now. It's Crowley's world; we just live in it. The yeah. the, contem- the the contemporary popular culture is Crowleyan. It's not Catholic. <laughs> not, oh, absolutely. And well, so that's it's, it's helpful to know that so you can process things a little better. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to totally divert. I was going to go go more into my background with him, yada yada. But I do think you know what you say now could could branch off to two topics we could talk about a bit. Um, one of them being, um, you know, is it Crowley's world we're living in? In because I I I view him. This is like a central thesis of kind of the notes I took and and my general take on Crowley. I really think he's quite similar to Friedrich Nietzsche in mm. his sort of general outlook. I mean, I, Nietzsche maybe would have dismissed him as being totally hokey. Like I'm not trying to, you know, for, for Nietzsche respecters out there, I'm not trying to make too <laughs> false of an equivalence. Uh, obviously there's some, some silly things about Crowley that wouldn't quite apply to Nietzsche, but the basic um, response to the, you know, quote unquote death of God and, and this sort of thing, I view him as working in that tradition. And within that, I think there's kind of an open question of like, like, yes, the, the broader culture is Crowleyan in the same way that it's very Nietzschean. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. does that necessarily mean Crowley, um, you know, would give the total thumbs up to all of modernity? Probably not, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a there's a something to be delved into, you know, to what extent are these people like like Nietzsche, like Crowley, sort of predicting the way the world was already going mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, find a place for philosophy or spirituality in the case of Crowley. Yeah within that and to what extent did they sort of will it into being um i don't i don't know yeah, both, I, I think both men were question. were obsessed with will and of course it's schopenhauer right. as well who we're going to cover next year uh which should be an interesting episode crowley pops up everywhere have you seen uh the killer yet i have not seen it yet unfortunately first and this uh, is not, not a spoiler but in the first five minutes he says, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Oh, really? Oh, well, that makes me want to see it even more. Yeah. So <laughs> um, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. So I think, you know, I, I hope we will get into that today a little bit. Like, to what extent is there value in that? Uh, and to what extent is it, yes, extremely dangerous to kind of promote that on a mainstream level? Like, I mean, I'll go I'll, uh, veering from Crowley for a moment because it's easy to look at, like, you know, Crowley's followers and progeny in the world today it's pretty easy to be to dismiss almost all of them. Yeah. Um, but well, Nietzsche, it's, it's like a, it's like a fandom. It is a like a fandom. Yeah. And, it can and get, would, it can get yeah. very Reddit there. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are some very serious uh, Thelemites and Crowleyans uh, who, who I would not want to piss off either. <laughs> right. There's that. Um, I don't know where are the good Thelemites. I don't know, but to bracket Crowley for a moment, yeah. uh, because I do really view him as in this Nietzschean tradition. I think with Nietzsche is a much more illustrative case of someone where there's like some some of the some of the worst intellectuals, not necessarily for being unintelligent, but some of the some of the intellectuals with whom I disagree the most, and some of them who I agree the most are very Nietzschean. And I kind of think a similar thing can have with Crowley when you're emphasizing, you know, um, the will so much when you're emphasizing kind of thinking through the crisis of modernity and 
you know, I'll say the death of God, obviously, as I don't think I need to explain to you, but as a the general, just to, to kind of um, give it a caveat for the general audience, you know, m- most people, when they talk about Nietzsche's concept of the death of God, don't necessarily, like you could, you could, as many Christians have kind of acknowledge that Nietzsche pointed to a real problem of modern nihilism without necessarily agreeing that God is dead in any real sense. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's people who take insights from people like Nietzsche and, you know, work with it in a Christian or, or obviously very conservative context. And, you know, I, I would argue that the same thing could be done with a lot of Crowley's insights and takes on things. Um, admittedly, we don't see that very much because I do think he attracts a really bad element. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> the other in, thing, go on, oh, go, go on, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say there, there, there's something kind of interesting. I mean, both of them have been, both of those guys have been used, um, used for, toward sort of propagandistic ends by various parties, right. For different, right. for different reasons. And so that always kind of taints things. Um, yeah. you know, if you're trying to get a, you know, a three sentence summary of the person, well, in Crowley's case, you're going to probably say he was once called the most hated man. And what was it? The most hated man in the world, the wickedest man in the world, the wickedest yeah. man in the world. Right. And so that's, that automatically kind of, kind of put, puts most people's hackles up. Um, and, you know, Nietzsche was, you know, bastardized and, and used by the National Socialists to some degree. Right. So right. so there is something about that. But but then both of them are sort of I was trying to think about how to phrase this because my what I was reaching for at first was like poetic. And, yeah. it, it, and I guess what I mean by that is they're using enough sort of figurative language that it can you can take out individual pieces of it and use them to make any argument you want <laughs> i think that's largely true yes. and that's that's an issue with them mm-hmm. in, in large part um uh i, I would say even yeah. it's potentially even more of a, a problem for crowley uh yes, because like, even though he was writing in english his entire system is syncretic uh i mean he he'll say roll a diet roll a die uh, you know, write down six religions on a sheet of paper, roll a die, a die, and uh, whatever you come up with, practice that religion for a month. I mean, yeah. how do you deal with that from like any sort of objective, rigorous, philosophical? Like, what do you do with that? Right. Um, I mean, it almost kind of predicts Wittgenstein, where he he makes it a game. You know, late Wittgenstein, he talks about language games. It's all games, you know, and, and Crowley's idea is sort of like, well, if it's a game, let's let's hack it. Let's learn how to break the game. And that's yeah. and that's magic. Um, yeah. yeah. And no, of course, he also had a yeah. they, but I beg your pardon, Matt. He, they both had a wicked sense of humor. Uh, yeah. Nietzsche, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah no, I, I do think the risk is sort of greater with Crowley than Nietzsche. Well, yeah, it depends. On and he was also probably more prolific. I think Crowley was just a scriptomaniac. I mean, he just wrote he and wrote and wrote and wrote. Yeah. Although, and I don't even I don't even know if this is that relevant of a point. I would say Nietzsche was a significantly better writer than Crowley. Mm-hmm. I don't think Crowley's a bad writer, but Nietzsche is one of the one of the greats and <clears throat> Crowley is a, no, is a you decent writer. Crowley is a but bad writer, man. <laughs> I certainly I've never tried reading his fiction. Uh oh, he, well, oh, I got it. <laughs> I think I think that he what at his most lucid he could be a good writer, but he was someone who was perpetually sort of non-lucid and and sort of distracted perhaps. Um not even to delve too far into that, but yeah, Nietzsche's a much better writer. So even though I do think he's been used and abused, um, 
there's kind of a more clear truth there that shines through, whereas Crowley remains, I think, more up for interpretation, mm. um, in my opinion. The other thing I was going to say, um, and again, not to not to uphold one art of darkness subject at the expense of another, but in terms of this issue of you know whether or not he was a if, whether or not he was the wickedest man in the world, shall we say, um, compared to the last after, not after Dark, compared to the last um, Dark Room episode I participated in, I would say that Crowley is, I'm actually very curious to, for your guys' take on this. He's almost a saint compared to Burroughs. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm overstating it. It just, it always struck me like, I, know, I think, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm actually working on the, um, we're going to do a, a real Burroughs episode. We Burroughs was the first subject we ever covered and we just did not give it the amount of time. So first episode of season four is going to be the the full Burroughs episode. And as I'm going through it and I've always had to reckon with this for my appreciation, reckon my appreciation with him as a writer. And he was a son of a bitch, right? No. Just yeah. Like and just the wreckage and abusing people and the, the, the the sexual indiscretions, uh, all of that, and Crowley. Crowley is I I I would agree, I would tend to agree with you. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's, <clears throat> say your piece, Kevin. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, the the major difference between the two, and Brad's going to be doing the full Burrows yeah. in January because, of course, it was our first episode. We didn't know what we were doing. It was only an hour, so yeah. I I expect a a long banger episode at the beginning of 2024 yeah, from Brad. Right He's got the Burroughs book right there, so look forward to that, friends. Um, but you know, and maybe my notion of this will change after that episode. But my impression is like with Crowley, you kind of got what you ordered. Like, right. if you were sucked into his orbit, you you kind of had no excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in a way, I mean, he advertised what it was. I think pretty clearly. I think so too. Uh, yeah, Burroughs, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure Burroughs' wife signed up to get shot in the head. No, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of the kind of cultier elements of Crowley, I'm also reminded, uh, and I'm not an expert on this topic, but it, it seems like he's a little more straightforward than like the L. Ron Hubbards of the world, too. I mean, again, I'm not trying to pay too much PR for the guy. And, mm. you know, I, I listened to, I did listen to all of your five, six hour episode on Crowley, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of it's kind of mild compared to like the worst people in my opinion. Like he was a little bit culty, definitely. He was um, obviously a sexual degenerate, but he wasn't like a pedophile <laughs> the way right. Burroughs was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of seems like one of the the worst things in his biography is the whole like Himalayan mountaineering incident. Um, right. Since you guys did the episode, I, I actually I you know I haven't re-listened to it. Uh, remind me. I mean, that's kind of the big the big thing was a certain carelessness almost. It, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Yeah. Uh, my, yeah. Go ahead, Brad. Well, I was just going to say my my interpretation of that. I mean, Kevin put that together. My interpretation of that was, yeah, it was. I mean, it's more of a you chalk it up to a mistake, partially due to kind of bravado, um, but n- certainly no malice. Uh, it wasn't a malicious thing, right? It, mm-hmm. it was a, it was more on the order of an accident or a mistake. So, I, I mean, I think one of the worst things that happened happened at the Abbey uh, of of Thelema in Italy. I'm going to read from the Wikipedia to refresh your memory here. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was uh, a small house which was used as a temple and spiritual center in Cefalu in Sicily in 1920. The villa is still there today. Kenneth Anger, who we 
we should probably do an episode on Brad. That might have to be, yeah. yeah, And rest in peace, uh, Kenneth Anger, or wherever. Rest, however you want, I suppose. (laughs) Rest as you rest as you will shall be the whole of the law. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, that that would be a good uh, uh, like kind of core episode for the uh, for Patreon only, Brad. I might have to think about that. Anyway, if you filmmaker Kenneth Anger, uh, he filmed some of the murals that were there. But in any case. Um, some stuff happened and, uh, it was Raul Loveday died at the Abbey. His wife, Betty May blamed the death on his participation in one of Crowley's rituals, allegedly incorporating the consumption of the blood of a sacrificed cat, uh, or the more probable diagnosis of acute enteric fever contracted by drinking from a mountain spring. So what happened? We don't know. Did Crowley have this young Ox- Oxford uh, undergraduate drink the blood of a cat. It's not confirmed. Um, apparently Crowley had uh, warned the couple against drinking the water. And, uh, but she came back to London. She gave an interview to the the Sunday express, a tabloid, which had her story in it. So I don't know. I really don't know. Right. I mean, Mussolini kicked him out of the country. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there was there was a there's a story too of some uh, fornication with a goat. But again, like I, you know, these things are sort of shrouded in like, is it true? Is it you know, was it stuff that like his enemies said? I don't know. In any case, yeah, yeah, it's just a little. I think there's a little bit more room for reasonable doubt than there is for a lot of again the, the kind of the worst examples of people like Crowley who are mm. worse. Mm. And I, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to do too much PR, but I, I think that. Um, he was, you know, the wickedest man in the world. It's, it's a little bit more in like a Marilyn Manson sense or even like a Rolling Stone sense. He was kind of more this rock star figure is sort of how I view him. And I I, I definitely don't view him as like an ideal uh, role model in any sense. Uh, I But I think a lot of the issues have to do with um, kind of a certain scatteredness, I guess, of uh, what do I mean by that? I don't know. It just seems like you know, it, I, I, I want to talk today about, you know, the, the, the quote unquote real meaning of do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Yeah. Um, it seems like, you know, kind of Crowley had, you know, he has some artistic feats, certainly the Thoth tarot deck being maybe the best example. Um, but but other times I think he falls victim to um, even beyond like the question of like what is uh, of things that are like overtly evil. Uh, the other issue with telling people to do what you know, to do what thou wilt essentially is that you get people who, you know, the human spirit, and we'll get a little philosophical here, a little spiritual too, you know, the human spirit, uh, you know, sometimes you can, I believe, and I don't think this is, I think this, what I'm about to say, I think is very much in dialogue with what even, you know, above board Christians might say, you know, the human spirit is such that you can order your soul in a way that following, you know, what you will, what you want can be identical, you know, with, with God's will, shall we say. And, and you, you, you end up doing things. Um, if you kind of order yourself in that way, I think doing what you want can be a wonderful, wonderful thing. And certainly anytime you're making art, you know, you're kind of following that inner drive. Um, but more often than not, when the modus operandi is do what thou wilt, um, the, the lesser parts of the soul, you know, to kind of wax a little platonic about it, um, are going to take over. And that's how, you, ha- you know, Crowley obviously is a drug addict. Um, right. 
does all kinds of sexual things that probably uh, probably didn't have, bear much fruit, shall we say. <laughs> right. Um, right. I just think he's an interesting case of um, both. I think to a certain extent, definitely. I imagine you guys agree that you, because you did an episode on him as, you know, an artist, you know, um, that he, he kind of exhibits some of the good parts of like an antinomian, you know, follow your will spirit and, and some of the bad parts as well. And my contention, I, I bring up the, those other people like, um, Burroughs and perhaps Hubbard in a different way. I bring it up because when, where he fell short and tripped up and did things that were ugly or just otherwise, contemptible um yeah there's some of it's shrouded mystery as to what actually went down and other times it's just and even the thing with the goat i certainly condemn bestiality but it's like it sounds kind of just like something that a, that a it's, weirdo would do if they it, really were high it on their sounds, own it, it sounds made up i mean you know, yeah it does sound kind of made up yeah you know, I, one thing that i've well learned, i don't know i i went hey listen i went to google right now i just looked up crowley goat sex and the number one thing that comes up is you this is your magic.com Sex, drugs, in the Abbey. Inside Alistair Crowley's occult, blah, blah. Well, Leo is out in Sicily stooping goats with Crowley. <laughs> Her sister Alma had fallen into the clutches of another wayward guru. People love this stuff. Yeah. People they, eat they, this yeah, stuff yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Salacious. you know, yeah. So, I mean, uh, who knows about it? Yeah, of course. Obviously, you condemn that. I mean, it's yeah. just beyond. Yeah, it's yeah. totally beyond the pale. But again, what do we what do we really know? I mean... Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 Matt. I want to. I want to. I, I feel like there's more to say here about this whole phrase. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, right? Because I'm going to let you. But the one thing I'm kind of want to tee up. It's like that is now that I think about it. That is quite a famous sentence. Like as it a is. piece of. I mean, almost everybody knows that, right? Even if they don't know kind of where it came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it brings it brings a little bell. They probably heard it on a metal album or something, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So what do you, what is your take on what that means? Or maybe not even your take. What's at Crowley's take on it? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I would like to get into that. I, I have uh, one of the better books of Crowley's is Magic Without Tears. And he has some some sections in that that I sent to, to you guys before. Mm -hmm. And I'll kind of go on to review mode in a second and get into that. But um, beforehand, I, yeah, I, I agree. It is it a very, very famous phrase. And I think that's some of where Crowley's genius and some of where the mm, the upshot of some of this occult slash magic stuff comes in, even for people who aren't necessarily, even for people who would want to avoid it because it seems evil, and even for people who think it's all nonsense. Um, there's something to the sort of, you know, it's like sigil magic and, and like bringing things, it looks like meme, it's, which is of course related to meme magic as well, bringing things down to their sort of core components, whether as a meme or a little catchy phrase. Um, I do think that phrase, do it that well, it shall be the whole of the law is kind of one of Crowley's genius inventions because it, it is a really bite-sized kind of gets stuck in your brain, you know, uh, almost like a pop song that he was able to release on culture for, for better or worse. And again, to go back to the Nietzsche thing, uh, as Nietzsche is the better writer, um, and I guess Nietzsche's version, Nietzsche's little little um, mind virus pop phrase thing would be "God is dead." I guess because that sticks with people. But mm -hmm. the "do what thou wilt" thing uh, to me, sort of, it's like a little, it's it's like pop Nietzsche in a way, I guess. Uh, which again, for for better or worse, um, I think he kind of brought some of those ideas forward in a way, or they could be transmitted through rock music, etc. Again, for better or worse in terms of its effects, but there is there is something there to be to be learned from, I think.
Um, but to get into it, um, obviously the, um, you know, I'd say it's like the, the midwit or, or silly interpretation, but let's be honest, it's also the most natural interpretation of do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Uh, is is just do whatever you want, man. Uh, you know, right, is right. the yeah, not that's, is the yeah. Go on, Kevin. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. I mean, that's that's part of the joke. I mean, he knows yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're an, a moron or if you're not illumined to the mysteries, uh, to the 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 Crowleyan ideas, you're going to think it just means carte blanche anarchy, libertarianism do whatever you want. And that's going to lead you straight to hell and Crowley, like, and literally hell on earth. You're going to have problems. Yeah. I mean, you right. know who does what they want at all times, a, a toddler and yeah. a toddler, if they were left to their own devices, what did you, you said something funny, Brad, cause of course, you know, I'm busy raising kids yeah. um, when I'm not doing the art of darkness podcast. Um, but uh, Brad, didn't one of your friends say having a toddler is like having a clown that's always trying to kill itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so true. I mean, these yeah. kids will just run in the street, My, right. you know, but of course the real meaning and the, the real idea of, you know, from Crowley is that you have to discover your true will. Right. Every man and every woman is a star. Every star has its own true will. When perfectly orbiting in their the orbit of their true will, uh, no star will collide into one another. You know, the, the work is really to find your true will and then then do what thou wilt. And of course, one more thing I have to say before passing this over, Matt, is that it's not just Nietzsche, it's it's Schopenhauer. Yeah. And we, we have to go back to Schopenhauer, who was who who was released um the world is will will and rep uh, representation in 1818, which is the same year that Frankenstein came out, coincidentally, from the huh. Mary Shelley episode. Yeah. And of course, his whole idea is that, you know, I'm just going to read from his Wikipedia, and we're not going to go too far into Schopenhauer, but his idea is that he characterizes the phenomenal world, the world of phenomena, uh, the things we see and hear and taste and smell, as the manifestation of a blind and rational, noumenal will. So... Yeah. You know, these these 19th century thinkers, they were, you know, at the beginning of the century, all the way through the end of the century, they were thinking about will literally as like the thing that drives everything. And Crowley definitely picked up on that and carried it forward and made it poppier, like you say. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I'll add that I actually like about Nietzsche and Crowley uh, as opposed to Schopenhauer personally, and I actually think in a weird way, this becomes more amenable to religions like Christianity, I know it's very ironic to say in the case of Crowley, maybe less so in the case of Nietzsche, is uh, I think, yes, Nietzsche, Crowley, Schopenhauer, all, you know, the, Nietzsche learned from Schopenhauer, Crowley references both of them. Um, they're, they're kind of talking about the same thing as the world as will. But I do think this take is fundamentally different. I'm not quite a Schopenhauer expert, but I know enough to know that he was essentially like a Buddhist and a very pe sort of pessimistic type of Buddhist by the end of his life. He very much viewed it as like, this is the way reality is. And the your best bet in the face of it is various forms of um of uh sort of stoicism, I guess is the word, or asceticism even, mm -hmm. sort of stepping back and dealing with it because like the will, it's this unpleasant thing that ultimate, you know, it's sound and fury signifying nothing is, is kind right. of Schopenhauer's take. Maybe you've read more and, and disagree. But I, I view Nietzsche and Crowley as being in a process of seeing that and somehow trying to avoid the circumvent the nihilism of that turn, um, turn, you know, 
kind of affirm the the, the world as will and and you know draw well, something well, good from that this is interesting in some of the other material you sent um and so a lot of that i was reading for the first time um so i'm not honestly i'm not that deeply read on crow uh Crowley material um beyond the beyond his tarot deck um the schools of black yellow and white magic yes feels like so is this i'm not trying to sidetrack too much but like it sounds like under the model that crowley was laying out for what these schools um uh the sort of attitude that these schools have schopenhauer would be uh not not black magic when we think of like evil Right. But the, the black school of magic yes. and and Crowley may be surprisingly to some people is actually sort of trying to be at least in the white school of magic. That's how he understood himself. And he does differentiate. You know, he's not really talking about white magic and black magic is popularly understood. Right. Um, although of note, he does say that he says that black magic is popularly understood as um, like a, an excessive school within 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 what he calls uh, you know the white school of magic with which mm. he identifies and he does you know again what i kind of mentioned earlier like he doesn't worship satan in any um open way per se he does he doesn't identify with practicing black magic per se yeah he, he identifies with this what he calls the white school of magic and i don't think i will i do want to get back to do what that will show me the whole mm. law and what it really means in a second but all of it's actually all tied in like we'll, we'll yeah. get to all of this by talking mm. about this um, yes, he explicitly identifies Schopenhauer with what he calls the black school, which is essentially metaphysical pessimism. Um, he really actually paints almost all, I think he paints a too broad of a brush what he considers this pessimistic black school, because he basically, he says Schopenhauer is like a very cogent, lucid um, expression of it. But he also, of course, says that Buddhism is part of it. And then most, in a way that I maybe disagree with more, he says like pretty much all of Christianity and Judaism is also ultimately within this pessimistic school. Um, because, you know, and I think with original Nietzsche and Crowley both, yeah, original sin. Um, he, he actually talks about, I don't want to get too in the weeds on this yet, I guess, but he, he sort of talks about how, you know, the act of Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead would be more in line with what he considers his white school of magic. It's this sort of, uh, salvation for, or, um, you know, uh, turning turning the sorrow of the material realm into joy so he actually recognizes that as what he calls like a white magic ritual but his argument is that you know christianity is sort of mired in pessimism uh and you know a sort of denial of of the drives and this sort of thing kind of kind of similar to what some of nietzsche's gripe with christianity was and um i definitely think he goes too far in dismissing organized christianity entirely but i think a lot of people could see how we might have some grounds for criticism there are maybe you know, we don't have to get into the theology of this but there are probably branches of christianity that are too you know denying of sexuality and this kind of thing i, I think that's sort of the back you know and of course as, as you guys well know having done the episode on him very similar to nietzsche in this he he was kind of brought up in a with the form of christianity you know with with, with basically bad parents with, with with a with a very stifling um sort of discipline based version of christianity it's hard not to separate the autobiography from the ultimate you know too great a dismissal of that i think in crowley and nietzsche's case mm-hmm. both but anyway not to get not to get too far in the weeds yeah but it's worth noting i mean they're both sort of sons of pastors right wasn't yeah. Nietzsche's father yeah so admired in this sort of 
I don't know so much about Nietzsche as much as I know about Crowley. I will do Nietzsche eventually. Um, I mean, I've read most of Nietzsche's work, but at the biography, I'm a little thin on. But um, I assume a Protestant pastor in, yeah. in Nietzsche's family, very similar to Crowley. And Crowley was part of like a Christian cult, like yeah. a super fringe, you know, ultra evangelical kind of cult. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're both responding to that. Um, yeah. Crowley with a bit yeah, more humor. No. With a lot yeah, probably, more humor. Pro- <laughs> with a bit more humor, but yeah. I-, I do think that sort of colors the perception of of Christianity on both of their parts. And um and cautiously, because I know people maybe Christians may be a little more open to this with regard to Nietzsche than they are with Crowley. And I'm not really suggesting that Christians read Crowley, but I do think, you know, there there there's something there you could say that one can have one could take some of Crowley's type of criticisms of Christianity, you know, specifically Protestant Christianity, even as it stood in England of his time. And, you know, see that like, yeah, there there had been some divergence from the original sort of mysticism of Christianity. So I always say Um, I do think that's a process that a lot of organized religions are always engaged with, you know, um, a lot of them do degrade, you know, we see this happen. So cautiously, I would say, you know, you could see in, in some of his love of mysticism you know maybe there's something there right like maybe on new right we did this episode we didn't really get into this but we did this episode with justin lee who's um an editor for first things magazine and we sort of talk about the concept of rewilding christianity Mm -hmm. um again i think in the kind of post nietzsche world um there is even within christianity like a recognition that there are issues of nihilism that slip in like maybe in in this oswald spengler type sense Western civilization kind of losing its vigor, you know, maybe that's happened within organized religions too. And maybe that's what um, Crowley is kind of responding to. There, I, I, yeah. there is a tendency, I think, for religions to try in, to some degree, or religious schools of thought to some degree, try to sanitize themselves, I'm, especially as we get into the modern era. I'm, I'm not sure why. I've been listening to this lecture sh- series on the Kabbalah, and I'm not going to talk about who who it is or anything, but Early on, he's, he says, and it's very detailed and very good lecture series, but in early on, he says, now, this isn't mysticism. What I'm going to teach you is how to come into contact with the hidden forces of the universe. I'm like, okay, right. if that's not mysticism, then wh- what is what is mysticism? Because <laughs> yeah. if you tell me, and I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of like trying to turn something into a science, or at least say it's a science, um, that ends up kind of shutting down anything that has the, the the smell of irrationality around it yes and certainly um again i'm gonna you know i'm a little out of my depth here i'm not like a scholar of the history of christianity but i certainly think and maybe this is my catholic upbringing biased against protestantism but i definitely think there's you know arguments against protestantism that it tries to be too rational right so you know that would be where kind of crowley and nietzsche come from um but then even catholicism you know, i'm not <laughs> not trying to blaspheme um but uh you, you know this is related to that issue of rationalism uh, a bit but also maybe its own issues you know you look at kind of modern churches being sort of mouthpieces for modern liberalism essentially they mm-hmm. you know there there is an argument to be made and is it, i guess part of what i'm trying to say here is um so and i i wrote i've written about this um you know some of these occult type traditions, it's certainly dangerous, you know, to be presented on a broad scale, but, uh, and as is sort of factually true, when you look at some of the people who are saying this, there's a relationship between occultism or at least mysticism and actually 
traditionalism, you know, with the capital T and, you know, figures like Julia Zavola, um, who maybe isn't the best example because he wasn't a Christian, but even, even within sort of weirder Christian schools of traditionalism, you see that there is this, this tendency to kind of look back towards, you know, um, an, an era of the religion that was more in touch with this kind of mysticism. I definitely even view like kind of going to Latin mass and things like that as a version of this, even if, you know, I'm not trying to, to break down meaningful divisions, but I think the same hunger that leads people to um, things like Crowley and other forms of mysticism is the same hunger that leads people to traditionalism, maybe to, you know, going to Latin mass, things like this. So I'm kind of interested in, in that problem more generally. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and Crowley was sort of doing it not necessarily within the line of Christianity. I mean, the the thing that I was so stunned by when we did our episode and then some of the stuff that you sent along as well, Matt, the the syncretic quality of it you sent yeah. this so so there's a there's a way in which and same thing with the this the practice he suggested of sort of rolling the dice and picking a religion and and being that for a month um there's something where he's trying to get down to like the perennial philosophy what, what Huxley would call the perennial philosophy right. or something he's trying to get down into the I hate computer um, I hate computer analogies, but I apparently have a computer virus in my head. So he's <laughs> trying to get down into like the source code or something. Absolutely. If there is yeah. such a thing. Yeah. Um, what, what, tell us a little bit just because I want to cover some of the stuff you sent. Um, tell Sorry. us a little bit yeah. about this, the Tao of what was it? What did he, it was, it's a, it's a chapter in magic without tears. Right. Um, yeah. The, he, he writes, it is the, it's called the Tao. It's a chapter yeah. in magic without tears. There's two parts to it. The first part is the one that I focus more on. And um, because you brought up, you know, the three schools of magic chapter, the Tao, Taoism, you know, the, the Chinese philosophy of that is what he considers to be the yellow school of magic, mm-hmm. um, which in his reckoning is a sort of understanding of the functioning of the universe that doesn't kind of step into this is my take on anyways doesn't step into his practice of like trying to use it more i guess like it's like understanding the source code without trying to hack it Mm. and basically um basically what he says about the tau is that almost maybe this is a little bit too far but almost like the tau is the source code like the the chinese are right about this Backing up a step, going back to do what thou wilt. Um, mm-hmm. b- basically, my read, and as far as Crowley explains this in the chapter on the Tao, is that um, the the closest, you know, he's a he's a feaster at the buffet of all the world's religions. He's very syncretic, as you said, and it seems that kind of the closest. There's a lot of different pieces he likes. He loves the Kabbalah. Uh, he's one of the original Western practicers of yoga. Um, there's even things within Christianity, certainly alchemy. We'll get into all this. But the kind of the thing that he seems to identify the closest with Thelema and the closest specifically with do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law is the Tao. Um, and this is another thing I want to say about the do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law phrase. There's a second part to it that people know less often. I'll just read it, read it here. Full sentence is do it thou wilt shall be the whole of the law for the for thou hast no right but to do thy will uh do that and no other shall say nay for pure will unassuaged of purpose delivered from the lust of results is in every way perfect um mm. so from the get-go I'll get back i love to that delivered second. delivered from the lust of results and he's he's talking he he considers this an art 
And this is a great way to handle artistic practice. Don't yeah. worry about whether you're going to get published or not. Just do it. Just write Oh, the no, thing. no, completely. I mean, I I very much, and this was a little bit, I, we don't have to get in the weeds of this, but, you know, in terms of my background on Crowley, I kind of started talking about how, like, I was into him a little unsure. When I started really getting into him, you know, like five years ago, I, I will always go back to, like, I don't know this stuff is dangerous in a certain sense. And like, I also, some of it is maybe nonsense, but I do think it informs the creative process really well. And I will stand by that. Even tarot mm -hmm. to an extent, like, I, I don't know about, um, you know, the truth value of all the divinations one can do with tarot, but, but certainly playing with these, these elements as presented by the tarot um, can really inform the creative process. I think we'll talk more about that later, yeah. but you no, know, I just think that brings up a really interesting point that kind of, even if, Crowley, you know, sort of overextends some of these nuggets of truth he finds. Um, I will, I really will stand by um, that, that this stuff is useful to think about as an artist um, because maybe, maybe this is the argument, you know, maybe, maybe there's an element within occultism within Crowley specifically that, you know, he's trying to make you your own God and maybe that's really blasphemous, but mm -hmm. Hey, you know, as an artist, um, even if you do so with great reverence uh, for, for the real God, um, you are in that position of being, you know, the the prime mover unmoved a little bit, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you don't have to look at it that way, but it's like you're kind of stepping into that. So whether whether one should play God in their whole life, maybe not, but but certainly there are there are contexts, and I think the artistic process is one of them where where this stuff can be really useful. But to unpack the do what thou wilt thing, you know, the thou hast no right but to do what thou will. I, I think my my take on that, you know, it's 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 meant to be as binding as it is liberating. It's very much meant to be something, um, you know, that you do the legwork for and then you let it rip, not just let it rip without doing the legwork. Um, and what is that legwork? I, I don't know if Crowley in his practice in his life always defined it super well. As I said earlier, I think he's very much, you know, very, very human and flawed. In the way these things come out, you know, obviously doing what thou wilt and can end in in drug addiction, etc. But at the very least, in Magic Without Tears and elsewhere, we see that he does have an idea of the stuff you're supposed, and very much, of course, has an idea of the stuff you're supposed to do to prepare yourself to follow this path. Um, and it's kind of intense, intense work on the soul. And uh, in his case, um, he he very much ties it into Taoism. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not the expert on Tao, but I think a lot of us have have some idea of this. Of course, the most famous quote about Taoism is, you know, the Tao that shall be named is not the eternal Tao. Yeah, um, it's it's this. I suppose I, I mean, I'm probably going to bastardize this a bit, but the Tao is, you know, the, the Tao is this like eternal nothingness energy or something that's kind of behind all life. Um, you know, it's analogous to concepts like chi and this kind of thing. And I think that um, it, it's, it's obviously gets very hard to talk about, you know, notoriously, you know, the, the, if, once you start to categorize it within the very teaching of the Tao, you know, you're already straying from the path. But I think the best way to understand what the results of, of um, you know, having the Tao with you, so to speak, or that it, it's basically a flow state. <laughs> in short, I, there's a lot of throat clearing to get to that, but basically the Taoist high point from what I can tell is that you're in this kind of flow state where it's all about the process. It's not about the results. And that ties into that other part of the quote, you know, mm -hmm. for, for pure will on a swatch of purpose delivered of lust from the results is in every way perfect. 
what doing what thou wilt is supposed to feel like in Crowley's view is this flow state that, you know, you get into it as an artist, perhaps, or even working like a normie job of, um, you know, when, when you're in that flow state, I think we can, we can all experience it, you know, in our lives. And it, it really does feel like sort of everything in that moment is in some way perfect, right? And you are following some almost like, I don't know if it's predestined or what, but you're following some path that just everything about it feels right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is... It's probably the closest that an average person ever gets to something like enlightenment. And you only get it for a very brief, you know, some number of minutes generally, right? But there is something about like the, the question of... It's a weird space where the question of what or what I should be doing or whether I should be doing this or not doesn't even like enter into it. It's somehow outside of all of that. Yeah. And it doesn't... It's like oftentimes any athlete will tell you this, you know, oftentimes when you're in that state, you're doing your best work, Mm -hmm. but it also doesn't matter. You're not really thinking about the product. It's just happening. Um, Mm -hmm. That in short is what Crowley's talking about. I love this quote from that chapter that I think it shows you something about Crowley's personality. As is well known, he was a rock climber and he, um, this isn't, this is sort of a, on a, on a detail within that concept of flow state, I guess, rather than the flow state proper. But he kind of talks about how, you know, when you're in that state, you don't make big adjustments. You're just kind of going with it. And I like this kind of connection between him and his spiritual beliefs and his athleticism. He talks about rock climbing. I'll just read the quote. He says, when I used to climb rocks, I never jumped. I never grabbed. I never made a sudden or violent movement. Therefore with thin, smooth arms, like a young girl's and legs, um, Tough enough, it is true, but always slow and steady. I used to find myself at the top of pitches that had beaten all the gymnasts. So, mm. I mean, that doesn't substantially expound upon the kind of this flow state as I'm already defining it. But I, I just, I do like how he is able to, um, because, you know, so much of Crowley's writing is about pretty mystical stuff. But there's kind of a more example from his day-to-day life of, of getting into that state. It's yeah. funny, too, if you go, like, into, like, uh, you know, self-help, uh, self-improvement territories on YouTube or whatever about flow state, rock climbing is usually like one of the first activities right. that they will use as an analogy because it's a little bit, it takes some skill. It's a little bit dangerous. You kind of don't know how it's going to go. You're always like, it's best when it's right at the edge of your skill, whether you can do it or not. It's like, has all of the quality, physical qualities that might put one into that state. Which is just interesting that Crowley, you, you think he may have learned more about magic rock climbing than we really f- might assume. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's definitely part of how I read him. Um, I know it's a question, like how do you get from that to um, various sex magic practices? Uh, again, I don't, I don't uh, condone all of them, but you know, there, there's something there. I think that, you know, the way to view him is, uh, and I think you even, Kevin, when when you did the pod, even maybe I don't remember the exact quote, but he even said something to this effect. What he was really all about was finding, and this is what most of occultism is about, at least today. It's kind of, you know, hacking is kind of a violent way of putting it in a way, but he's kind of trying to hack into these elements of the human spirit through which we can find motivation, through which we can produce 
flow states. Obviously, I think the sex magic stuff comes in and in terms of, you know, the erotic drive being one of the most powerful forces we come into contact with. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it really is a cautionary tale in terms of trying to tap into that uh, to make other things happen in the external world. But, but that's where it's coming from. I think it's um, obviously, I'm sure he was a horn dog, you know, I'm sure he <laughs> right yeah like, we don't have to overthink right. it i mean he probably was right. just a horny goat i mean he was a mountain yeah. climbing horny dude right. <laughs> who grew up yeah. in a super repressed culture yeah. and, and religion yeah. uh and was having none of it and, and probably also was sick of the hypocrisy because all everybody else was doing all of this stuff too so let's he just came out and he said the quiet part out loud mm. yeah no no i think yeah. so and um i don't know i think it's uh, in an era where um in a lot of ways, you know, in a lot of ways, people are very sexually drained, I feel, you know, whether it's because of porn addiction or lowering testosterone, you know, this kind of this weird thing going on culturally now where we're overexposed to pornography, uh, it would seem things are hypersexual, but actually people are having less sex than ever. Um, again, cautionary, I'm not saying Crowley is the way to go, but yeah. you can kind of appreciate what he's, you know, the sort of the... Um, the degree to which he exalts sexuality is not necessarily a bad thing. I think there is, you know, in, in an era where so much of us, so many of us feel drained by various forces on the internet, um, you know, his, the way that he exalts, like, you know, in real life sexuality, um, right. I, I can sort of see yeah, what he's getting at, right? Well, and this know. is, <laughs> this so. is yeah. a very good companion episode to the core episode we did just last night on Mary Shelley, because there's this idea, if you don't really understand that by the turn of the 19th century, coming out of the 1700s into the 1800s, Shelley's parents were already talking about free love. They were already mm -hmm. talking about the tyranny of the monopoly of marriage. They mm -hmm. were doing it in like with higher moral ideas than, than Crowley would like Crowley seems angry. Um, mm -hmm. Crowley seems snarky. And um, again, he uses a lot, a lot more wit than I, the, than I get from um, uh, Mary Shelley and her parents, but they were already talking about it. I mean, Mary Shelley's father created a huge scandal um, when he wrote a memoir quickly after Mar uh, Mary Shelley's mother passed, right after she gave birth to Mary Shelley, he wrote a memoir that was like a tell-all about his now deceased wife and the fact that her her first child uh, was to another man, mm -hmm. you know, and this caused this tremendous scandal. And this was a you know um, a quarter of a century before before Crowley, or three quarters of a century before Crowley even came along. So it's not like Crowley just created himself and these ideas out of whole cloth. Right. There was a counter movement that, you know, that was already going on. Um, you know, it was not the mainstream. Um, and certainly the conservatives were never on board with it, you know, publicly, like the Tories or whatever. But um, and then and you know, and then Crowley, Crowley also like played the villain. He played the heel. You know, he, yeah, he, very much. He, yeah. Yeah. He played the press and, uh, yeah. Fun figure, fun, fascinating dude. <laughs> no, definitely. And, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, he is a progenitor of the free love movement and we all can point to the bad effects that that has had. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, one can be very nuanced when they start to interrogate these kinds of things, you know, the, the free love movement wasn't bad uh, because of the sex per se. It's rather because of, you know, the kind of lack of structure. And then when you get, 
you know, the, the ruinous effect on family formation. And then when you get the internet, then all of a sudden people have, their, you know, their first erotic and most sustained relationship is with uh, pornography. That's where things really go off the rails. But, um, you know, from a starting point, like I am quite conservative in my views on sexuality. Um, but I, I do think it's important to start from a place of like realizing that it is it is the stuff of life like it is the obviously it's what produces life it uh it is this great and powerful force that Mm -hmm. um really the shame of you know over liberalization with regard to it is the degree to which it's kind of been squandered and um, it ends up cheapening cheapens it's cheap absolutely yeah Yeah. um and And that's that's on that's on purpose yeah, it's yeah. commercialized and cheapened and made transactional like everything else mm-hmm. Absolutely. that they get and I, their, their grubby hands on. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> where I don't know with Crowley is like, um, you know, you, you mentioned Kevin, like we, it's Crowley's world. We're just living in it. If he were alive today, would he view Internet pornography as a good thing? Uh, quite possibly not. I, I think for I someone think he wouldn't, but I don't know. I, I don't know. It's hard to it gets hard to unpack. It's just the, the reality of it is so evidently, um, you know, in, in he, might, he might come around to that idea. But I think it's six months of uh, Randy from uh, from uh, South Park GIF for Crowley first. Well, I think <laughs> yeah, I think, I think yeah, something like that's probably exhaust himself first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You were saying that. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. What was I saying? Give me a sec here. Uh, just that he would probably not uh not appreciate the the widespread internet pornography. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think so. And like, I, I'm not going to pretend he was like a family values guy, kind of like Burroughs, kind of like a lot of these guys. He, you know, I, I was flipping through Magic Without Tears the other day, and he has a section called The Family Public Enemy Number One, oh, which man. while I disagree with it, um, I did laugh because I'm so used to that sort of take from people like him. Um, and again, you know, he came from a less than happy family. So that's part of it um yeah he came from a less than happy family which also i think left him with the equivalent of like four or five million dollars that he burned through <laughs> so yeah, yeah. i mean yeah he's he's a, a mixed bag crowley to a me mixed but bag yeah for sure yeah, um yeah what i don't think though is that he viewed sexuality and and raw sexual pleasure the orgasm as a total end in its own right i i mean kind of manifestly he did and he kind of believed it from what i you know have read and a lot of it's quite esoteric, of course, but is that it was he took it. He took the power of sexuality seriously. He, mm. you know, did did he promote casual sex sort of by having a lot of it? Uh, maybe. But I do think there's this greater reverence for the power that it can have. I mean, almost sex magic. Say what you want about it is inherently believing that it's kind of tapping into something higher and more spiritual. So I think, yeah, even maybe after six months of the Randy from South Park gif. Uh, I think maybe there would be acknowledgement that, you know, all that energy was going nowhere. Right. Um, you know, he is kind of like one of the sort of like Wilhelm Reich and Burroughs in his own way kind of was a was a believer in in the power of sexuality. And I think when you look at pornography, um, it is really denuding everybody. And I kind of think he'd come come to a to, to a point of view like that again without that doesn't necessarily mean his take on sexuality was good. I just think it's a little bit different than. Uh, the total throwaway culture we have with regard to it now. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of a a joke that's both, I think you brought it up on your pod. It's both shocking, but also sort of insightful. He used to joke that uh, he sacrificed children, uh, which he never actually did. But what he actually meant was he was sacrificing potential children right. by masturbating every day. 
And um, <laughs> yeah, you know, as, as, so as crass as that so sounds, yeah. yeah um, by acknowledging that you know, this could have been a potential human, he was still at least connected to that. Everything in kind of modern sexual culture uh, encourages basically to completely separate the two. You know, right. Crowley, I guess, was maybe doing it willfully and joking about it. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying too hard to defend yeah. him like I was. Earlier, no, not at all. Not you see what all. I mean? He, um, yeah. yeah. He, he knew what he was doing. And I don't necessarily think his intention was pornographic. I think it was more. Um, well, it was magical. It was, you know, using this for other means besides children, I guess. Right. Well, right. we're yeah. we're coming up on the hour. One of the yeah. things I want to talk about on the after dark for Patreon is Moonchild. I have it here. The novel that he wrote about this magical ritual. So we'll get a taste of some of his mediocre prose. Uh, <laughs> his hack self-aggrandizing prose. And then I have a few other things for the for the after dark to kind of guide that conversation. Matt, I have a feeling we could go on for another two or three hours. Oh, but, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the interest no, of time. Good. Yeah. We're we're also gonna we're gonna look at White Stains, his book of like weird erotic yeah. poetry. Um I have uh I'm gonna read some of those poems. Then we're gonna do the annual Art of Darkness tarot reading. Brad's <laughs> yeah, gonna do right. that. That's okay. gonna be a lot of fun. And yeah. then if we have time, I've also got a little bit about uh Crowley in Berlin, which will give us a little taste of how the media was kind of like writing about him whenever he'd pop into a new town. I have a feeling it it maybe tied into his like secret agent cover stuff. And he he might have had a press agent too, for all we know. In any case, uh Brad, you were gonna say? Well, I before we before we sign out, I, there's one thing I kind of wanted to talk about in Matt's notes. That there's other stuff in here too. Maybe we'll do a follow up Crowley yeah, episode yeah, a few months could, yeah. down the road. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But uh, you have some a bit in your notes about the rose, the symbolism of the rosy yes. cross, and uh, this is something that has kind of come across my purview. You know, I've come across this from time to time, but I've never really understood it. What what is Crowley have to say about the Rosie Cross. What does the Rosie Cross mean? Yeah, no, this was one of the things that I found really exciting while reading Magic Without Tears. Um, there, I'll, I'll I'll answer it in two. You know, I'll keep it brief because we're I know we're about to wrap. But um, to kind of go back to the black, yellow, and white schools of magic, I did want to read one other very quick quote from him that will end up tying right into the way he reads the Rosie Cross. Which of note, he you know he. That's blurred on the thing right now. Nope. You know, he he adopts the Rosie Cross as his own. That's what's on the back of the Thoth Tarot deck. And he kind of views it as the the greatest sort of Western tradition. You know, he's he's looking east a lot of the time, but he kind of views the Rosie Cross as um the you know the secret society that preserves something of the real spirituality he wants to get at within the West. Um, but we sort of already talked about this, but I I do think this is an, a succinct little quote on what he considers the white school of magic, what he considers to be his own school of magic, the type of magic that he wants Selma to be, the type of magic he wants to bring to the world um, is this. Um, he he sums it up like this. Um, you know, uh, if, if the black school of magic is everything is suffering, he says, the central idea of the white school is that admitted that everything is sorrow for the profane, uh, the initiate has the means to transform it to everything is joy. Um, and this, of course, ties into alchemy in a spiritual sense as well. It's this notion that the type of ultra pessimistic world that Schopenhauer describes, that the Buddhists describe, uh, it is a close to accurate picture of the way, like, kind of default, like life at its default is. 
but that um, the human being can um, sort of exalt it and transform it into something good through the power of will. Um, and I find I find that idea very sympathetic. You know, I think that uh, I'm not. Right. Maybe it's I, kind of invigorating to me. It's invigorating. Honestly. And yeah, it's like, like uh, maybe you can do something about all this shit. Exactly. Like at least inside, at least within yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, and so he views the symbol of the rosy cross. Um, basically, it's it's the image of the you know stolid, you know barren cross, uh, which. This this used to be confusing for me when I was first getting interested in symbolism. Um, the cross is, of course, a Christian symbol, and 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 with Rosicrucianism, it definitely was purposely using a Christian symbol. Um, but the cross does appear in other traditions as well. It's kind of one of those more broadly used um, symbols, I suppose. Um, it's, some been, it's been being used by tribes in the Americas since literally like twelve thousand years ago. So it's it's a yeah. yeah and I, yeah. I'm not trying to de-Christian it by saying that. I'm just mm -hmm. saying I'm partially saying it's not like he's not blast. He's not in this case. He's not necessarily blaspheming the cross, like saying the cross is barren and terrible on its own. Mm -hmm. It's it's you know Rosicrucianism in its own right is not like traditionally it was sort of part and parcel of Christianity. You know, later schools within it probably were anti-Christian. But my, my real point is, um, you know, the cross in the rosy cross, as he understands it, isn't necessarily the Christian cross. It's more of a general image of man sort of in its default state, I suppose. Okay. And then so the image is a, a rose, a, which is a symbol of flourishing and eros being made to bloom on a barren cross. And the idea and, you know, to what extent... Was it, it, the Rosicrucianism is shrouded in mystery? Like, do do we know if this is what it actually was originally supposed to mean? I don't know, but certainly it was always an alchemical society. Certainly, it was always about turning l lower matters into higher, uh, and that's basically his his interpretation of the Rosy Cross. You know, a a rose made to bloom on a barren cross, and that is the um, sort of raison d'etre of the White School of Magic is to initiate people into this ability to turn everything is sorrow to everything is joy. Hmm. Well, all right. Well, I think we've turned a little That's bit a great of place to stop. Joy. Matt yeah, Pegas, yeah. where could, yeah, hopefully we have, and we're going to come back on the after dark. We'll do another 20 or 30 minutes. Patreon.com slash art of dark pod. I've already talked about what we do. Thank you to the people who support the podcast. Thank you to, to guests like Matt. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate your insights into Crowley. You clearly are a, a deep thinker about him. You don't, you don't <laughs> treat him like a, like a comic book. Um, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, that appreciate great. that. Maybe next year around Crowleymus, yeah. we'll have you on and and we'll think about some more stuff because we could we could go into this exhaust. Oh, you yeah. We could just hours we could do yeah. five dark room episodes just about like this book or whatever. So yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Uh, uh, one more time, where can people find you online? Just pitch your podcast real quick, and then we'll sure come back. thing. It's mpegs m-p-e-g-z 696 uh, on twitter uh you can also find us you know me and my co-host dan ball to get new right pod on twitter that's n-e-w-w-r-i-t-e-p-o-d um yeah if you follow those twitters you'll the rest will fall i got a link tree on there um but yeah I, i'm one half a new right pod and i do my own stuff awesome. um Check Thanks so out. much for coming yeah, on. During the break, out. try not to commit any uh, sexual degeneracy that'll end up in your Wikipedia profiles, guys. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, wait, you said five minutes? I should be all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're going to make it, Brett. Awesome.